Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good morning, everybody. It's welcome to have you guys here. Family us joining together again. So for you guys who are just joining us online and here in person, it's first time here. Love to have you guys. We're going over community, a community series that ultimately we are family and it's a place for us to call home. It's a place ultimately like brother Pav, who was put on the spot and just like this sermon, he did not take a heart of offense, you know, <laughs> he, he testified to that place where we are family and it takes an impact to really bring us into change. Amen. Oh, I don't know what he's doing. I was like, for a second, I thought he caught the spirit. I was like, he's, he's about to get him a word of wisdom. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about words that build in this series. We've talked about a few things and I'm, I'm going to just kind of jump off with going, go to the next slide. How many of us have ever heard of the Masuru Emoto experiment? Okay, so what do you guys think's in those jars? (laughs) It's either mashed potatoes or rice. That is what the, you put wet rice in a jar for 30 days. And on one side, the experiment, you speak words of affirmation and love over the rice. The other jar, you don't say anything to. And then the next jar, you just, you let your anger out on. Well, what they found was over 30 days, the rice that had the loving words of affirmation didn't have any mold. It looked almost exactly the same. The words that said nothing began to dry out. But the one that had the hate actually had immense amounts of mold. Isn't that crazy? So then when we start talking about, I grew up, as some of you guys know, I've said it a few times in the hood. And for me, one of the, my favorite games growing up was shooting the dozen. You know, you just talk trash back and forth. And I didn't know that that was a really destructive thing. You know what I mean? Because everywhere I was around, that was a super just, that was just normal. You just talk trash to each other, you know. But the thing, <laughs> the thing is, is that we see that even in the way that plants respond, right, the same theory applies to how plants grow in a garden that I'm not going to show you the pictures. I had pictures, but like that actually plants grow more dense and low to the ground. If you talk bad to them, they don't produce as much fruit. Whereas the a plant will spread out and grow as far as it can and produce way more fruit. If you speak loving to it within the same experiment, They found that kids who were spoken negatively to had many more diseases, much more sickness, and weaker bones than those who were loved. So in that same heart and testimony, today what we're talking about is words that can build. Ultimately, we will be strengthened or weakened by the words we receive. All right. Before I get into that, do you guys remember what I always do in the beginning? Testimonies. I want two testimonies. 
Somebody give me a testimony. I'll choose you if you... I would choose somebody, whoever the Spirit highlights. <laughs> Anybody got a testimony? Okay, Arlene, and then you'll go next, okay? All right, Arlene. I'd just like to testify about how practical God is. Um, some of you may know that um, I have taught Bible study in the past for several years. And right now I'm uh, kind of guiding the, the group that meets at Cheryl Lindsley's house. Lindley? Lindley. Okay. And I have found that if I do not pray before I uh, go to these uh, meetings where I've got some responsibility, I find that um, I'm kind of disjointed. I, I look at my notes and I can't make sense out of them. It's like I lose my place. Um, but if I pray uh, before I come, and usually I do that in the car on the way to the meeting, uh, one of the things I ask God to do is to help my words flow out of my mouth. May my words be his words. May the people be chatty, <laughs> meaning that they respond so that we have good interaction. And, you know, every time I do that, it works. He is a God of practical means. Uh that may not sound like a big deal, but if you're, if you're the person that's trying to facilitate a meeting, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. <laughs> so I just wanted to testify to that because he has answered that prayer so many times over the years for me. Um, that, thank him for it. Amen. Thank you, Arlene. Whoop, whoop. Miriam, come on. Welcome my sister Miriam up. Good morning. I'm usually not the type of person that would just randomly come up here and church that I just visited for the first time, but that's, this is a, this itself is a testimony. Amen. Um, Dame, Dame invited me. So Dame knows very much. Um, so today I'm here with a friend of mine. This is Lucas. Um, this morning I, uh, actually didn't plan on bringing him. I just wanted to have coffee with him this morning before coming to church. So I picked him up. We went to Starbucks, grabbed coffee. Um, and I'm usually not, he, my hair is never usually out. And he's like, why are you dressed up? And as I'm going to church, he said, can I come with you? Um, sure. <laughs> so he's here for the first time. And um, as we were walking into the building, he was telling me how he was afraid because he's never been in, in, he hasn't been inside of a church for a long time. Um, and he's, and he was afraid. And as we were sitting here worshiping as the presence of the Lord just entered the room, you know, I kind of just put my hands over him. Um, and he just started to feel calm and peaceful. Um, and that's a testimony as well. But the reason that I'm up here is because I run a adult group home. Um, and Lucas, uh, lives with me. And before that, um, Lucas, uh, do you want to share? Yeah. Before I met Marion, I had a horrible life on the streets doing drugs just to survive. It was like so bad for me. It was life or death. 
everywhere I walked. When I came to Miriam, I noticed that I seen a lot of changes because I lived a life of hell, like living in hell, actually. And I grown to hate my own race because they want to kill me and stuff. But I just realized now that I'm actually safe with Miriam, and I thank her, and I thank God for bringing me to her. It's, it's not me, but um, it's God. And the moment he came into our house, he said that there was peace there. Amen. Um, and that's how I knew it was God. So uh, I just want you guys to think about him throughout the service and um, pray for him. Hey, before you sit down, dog, come here. I'm an active person. How many know that about me? Do you mind if I put my hand on you? I want everybody to raise your hands up right now. We're going to bless this brother real quick. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that this this brother had the courage to just take a step out, Lord. I pray that we could be faithful and love on him. Lord, that is just a little to ask for, Lord. And I just pray right now that your presence would make itself ever so known. That there is no boundary. There is no wall that you don't overcome. There is no table that you don't make acceptable for your family, Lord. I pray that he would find himself right at the table where he's supposed to eat, Lord. I pray that he would be loved. And that he would not be an orphan or a lost one. Or one who was by himself. But ultimately, Lord, that he would be one who knows what it is to be a product who found his way back home. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hallelujah. Bless you, brother. It's great to meet you. So we just heard two great things, right? First, we heard that God is faithful. And we heard that God is a God of peace. And he brings his family home. You know? Amen? Is that what we want to be defined by, guys? That's what I want to be defined by. I want to be known even with that God. So kind of go to the next slide. So we've been going over this series, right? For probably like five weeks or something like that. And in this series, even the first place we went over is that the father is not just the father to me or the people in this building, but he's the father of all of us. And that he takes orphans and he makes them he makes them adopted into a family, right? And he gives everybody a place at that table. Then we see that we were, we were dignified. We're brought into a place that we're all unified no matter what differences we see. That the differences actually don't define us. The father does. And what we're unified around us is what we're defined by. Then we see that we went into a place where we're all gifts actually. We all judge ourselves for what we don't have or we say, I do got it and they don't got it. But the truth is, is everybody is needed. Everybody has a place. Everybody has a people and a hope that they're supposed to be. And the world is waiting for us. Then we went into that following God into the new and being renewed. And this place where that new looks like us both softening and transforming and being defined by love. Amen? See, the thing is, is that even today, we'll see it continue on, this idea of the old versus the new. I'm not going to be so uh, explicit to talk about the old versus the new. I'm going to talk about two different heart positions. So let's go to the next slide. 
I'm about to go through a bunch of Bible verses, okay? So you guys don't necessarily need to flip to them all because they're going to be all over the place. And then we're going to land in Ephesians, okay? So we've all heard even about kind of the power of our mouths. Even if you're from the world out there, if you know any quotes or anything, put it in the comments of what quotes are powerful to you about what is that comes from your mouth. But for us, we have to be in a place that we recognize really quickly that we've heard lots of things about the power of our words. And even like the example from today, our words have the ability to make up the very design of the things that God has created. So in Proverbs 18:21 it says death and life are in the t- power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Go to the next slide. Proverbs 18:4 says the words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Go to the next one. James 1:26 If anyone thinks he is religious, And does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. These are getting that real words, right? Like, that's that place that says, ultimately, our very tongues have the power to hurt somebody, kill them, or bring life to them. It says that ultimately, we have the very wisdom that could be deep, that somebody can drink from, that that somebody could be refreshed from. Or we can be somebody who actually is the very person who's taking away and showing what we believe to be worthless. Matthew twelve thirty seven. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Who is he talking about there? Is he talking about by God? No. He's talking about men. He's talking about people. The reason why is because our words can hurt people it can cause damage and the truth is is words how many of us have had words spoken to us that echoed for a lot longer than actions did because the thing is is just like memories they store inside of us it's either a curse or a blessing right good next slide so we have to ask the question why is this even important for us in a community a community conversation right we want to be remember there is nothing we can't bring to the table there's nothing we can't talk about that's the kind of culture we want we want everybody to be able to come and be spoken to and seen and loved why is this important the reason why it's important is because of matthew 15 18 it says but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this is what defiles a person So what it's saying is these words, hallelujah, he's praising over there. (laughs) But anyway, so like these words don't just come from nowhere. The words we use, the words that we have, the words we choose, the ways we position ourselves don't just mean nothing. They actually reveal a heart position that is inside of us. See, the reason why this is powerful is because we want to be people who are defined by this. And we want our hearts to be reflective of the Christ who died on the cross for us, right? And this family wants to be recognized by peace and God's faithfulness. That's what we saw this morning through the testimonies, right? 
So go to the next slide for me. See, the thing is, is the two heart positions we see in this verse, as I said, it's really like the old man, but I'm going to use the phrase heart of offense. Verse, words that build. It's either a heart position that is positioned, a heart position. Remember, words flow from where? Yeah. So the, as it pours out from the heart, these words that build are reflective of a heart that's positioned to build. Or it's a heart of offense. Amen? All right. So in this, we're going to split it into two. Go ahead and go to the next slide. I know I'm flying through them. I'm going to jump to that in a second. Really, we want to be a people that is unified around Christ, right? We want to be unified around what Christ's position is, his drive, and what he wants. So when we look at Ephesians 4.25, so as I said, the rest of the time we're landing in Ephesians 4, okay? So if you got your word, if you're up there, know that we're going between 4.25 and 32. But... 25 says, therefore, having put away falsehoods, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. The members of one body is, is that actually I'm, I'm speaking to somebody who's a part of me. When I look at each of you, you are literally parts of me. Even though I might not recognize it, it's actually because of my own fractured self. It's because when sin hit us, we got a new place, right? That was shamed and separated. That's, that's what happened, right? They covered themselves and then they were separated from God because they had shame. In that same way, we see that in the world with all of us. It is that we are living a life that's independent and separated. But what God says is actually we are all one. We are unified in him, one body. And our hearts have to be driven by a place that sees us, not as me, I, but as us. So that we ultimately can bring holiness that's not just about me getting what I want. So as we see up there, there's, there's different things that when we talk about words that build, that really define it. The first thing I'm going to say before I even get to that is, is that words that build, a heart that's for building... It's centered on God, not us. It's, it's centered on Christ. It's centered on what his heart is. It's centered on those seven things. It's centered on glory. It's centered on his peace, his faithfulness, his character. But from this section, we see that there's defining things that represent a heart that is for building versus a heart of offense. The first one is godly anger. It says, be angry at sin, at immorality, at injustice, at ungodly behavior, yet do not sin. Do not let your anger cause you shame, nor allow it to. Last until the sun goes down, and do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge, nurturing anger, harboring resentment, or cultivating bitterness. So coming from my background, the one thing that's really easy is to be angry. Like where I come from, anger is, is, is a definer. You know what I mean? Like you can flash at somebody. If you don't get angry, actually, then you are the bad person. And so it's like 
I had to learn the opposite lesson that a lot of the people that I work with now have to learn, which is I had to learn the lesson of how to control my anger, you know, but what this speaks to me more because this is more towards the church is that I see in the church. A lot of times we don't know how to be angry. We don't give ourselves permission to be angry, but there is justified good things to be angry about. There is things to stand in anger about. We see that what are they centered around? God. They're centered around immorality, injustice, and ungodly behavior. Those things, it's just to be angry about. It's good to be angry. In fact, we were created to have anger because we're unified with God and God has anger. So for us to think that there is no anger actually leaves us the unhealthy ones. And for us who struggle with anger, guess what? It teaches us, even in these different things, how to start dealing with that. We see that we want that anger. There's rules to anger. There's, there's ways to deal with anger. There's places that we have to be really wise with the way that we treat our anger. Because I don't know about you guys, but when I get angry, I could say some things that last a lot longer than I mean to. You know? I mean, my wife makes me holy. She doesn't always make me happy. <laughs> I'm just... She would say the same thing to me. <laughs> She's a better woman than I. But uh, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but so what we see is, is that within these rules that we want to be able to see that there's a way to be angry. But that we see that one of the rules is that it does not lead to sin. And it doesn't bring you to shame. So, does that mean that you get to be prideful about your mistakes? No. What it's saying is, when you know that you've walked above reproach, especially when you're angry, you have the things that the people like, like sat here and testified about. You have peace, and you know God's faithfulness. Because you're still centered on God. But when your anger is out of control and you're sitting there in the pride, what it's revealing to you is your rights and why you were justified. So we see that then the, the, the second rule that becomes really clear about anger to be healthy is to deal with it. So in this healthy heart position, we see that a heart that builds is one that does get angry sometimes. But when it gets angry, it deals with it, it doesn't act rashly, and it walks in a way that doesn't leave shame. Let's go to the next slide. The second thing that we see about a heart that builds is that it's positioned to grow and share. So this words that we share have to come to a place that ultimately, like we see in this verse, the thief who has become a believer must no longer steal, but instead he must work hard, making an honest living, producing that which is good with his own hands so that he will have something to share with those in need. 
There's a heart position that as we experience God, as we experience Christ, who was the one who was sacrificed in position to Barabbas, who was a murderer and he was a, a liar and the people even hated him, right? But they hated Jesus more, obviously. And so Jesus went in that place. But as we experience that Christ who's willing to go, even in his innocence for us, impact us, give us home, give us a place, it calls us to be a little different. It calls us to grow. It calls us to be somebody who's not the same as our old. And as we see in the line of our messages, it calls us to be people of growth. People who are seeking better, but not seeking better just for us to be better, but seeking better so that we can be people who have something to share. We have something to give. It's not about storing up for us. It's about changing outside so we can impact the community, so we can impact this world, so we can carry and other people can experience the glories and riches of God that have impacted us. Amen. The third thing, the third thing, I got to give better signals. I told you my signal was like this. I got to like figure out one, like, I don't know. (laughs) It's just like, (laughs) I suck at Pictionary. I'm just joking. (laughs) So a heart that is for building builds and blesses. It's positioned to build and bless. It says, do not let unwholesome, foul, profane, worthless, vulgar words ever come out of your mouth. But only such speech as is good for building up others according to the need and the occasion. So that is, it will be a blessing to those who hear you speak. I'm not going to say what I originally was going to say. But <laughs> a heart to build is positioned in a place that is for others. It is seeking to raise somebody up. Remember how I said it it actually strengthens the bones. It, It actually speaks blessings into people. And we're not just doing some blank thing like, you know, well, gee willigers, God bless you. You know, like we're not, we're not being this blank place, but we're actually paying attention what the person needs. We're paying attention to how to speak to them. Because the truth is, I've heard this verse spoken many times and says, do not cuss. Do not speak crazy. I don't prescribe to that myself. I'm not not saying I cuss all the time. But the thing is, is what I'm saying is, what I take this verse to mean is, we have to speak in a way that impacts people, doesn't cause them to stumble, but builds them up. That seeks to interact and represent Christ. Because in this place, if my brother needs to hear me speaking in slang and loving on them, guess what my job is? To learn a new language. Because the truth is, it's not about anybody else being something to meet me. It's me being something to meet them. Because in this place, once again, we are all needed and we are all hope. We represent a Christ who's impacted us. He's built us up, so now it's our responsibility as a Christ who saves, who grabs, who holds to represent that Christ. Amen? (laughs) Number four. I know I'm just, I'm rolling through them. Hopefully people are falling. Number four. Yay, yay, yay. How many of you guys like Greek words? I don't. (laughs) 
I'm just joking. I, I like I like looking them up. They're a great tool, but I I can't. I mean, I barely speak English. So like, when you hear me say, when you hear me speak, that's when we get we we get we get a little bit like my my third grader. You know, I'm just like he's like Lupe. Oh, I'm like I hope I'm saying it right. But in this place, we see that the word that is here in this next verse, in the verse that says, grieve the spirit, lupeo literally means to grieve the spirit, right? Or to grieve. We have heard that verse used so many times. I would say that I've not heard very many teachings on what that really means, What's interesting about this word is we've heard it described as to make sorrowful, to affect with sadness, to cause grief, to throw into sorrow. But it's used 18 times in the New Testament, in the gospel specifically. The six times that it's used about the spirit, it says something very similar to grieve the spirit. But when we're left to just look at that definition of it defines what makes the spirit sorrowful in my, my opinion, like how do I look at it and say, how am I making him sad with me today? How am I making him disappointed? I don't want to disappoint the spirit, but there's a real place when you look at the rest of the implications of that word it's used actually in a slightly different manner it says to act passively which means to not do something or to act in a manner that doesn't represent god so we see that this grief that we cause the spirit is not acting or not representing the god who's grabbed a hold of us so as we've seen, we built this idea around that God in, interacts with us. He holds us. He believes us. He loves us. As we're going to see in a little bit, he seals us, right? Then in that place, he, when we don't act in a place that's active in that position, or we don't represent the God who's impacting us and holding on to us, then that's what grieves him. That's what makes him sad. And that would make sense, right? Isn't it the Spirit's job to be the convictor? Isn't it his job to be the one to bring revelation of God himself? So in that place, he's revealing to us, through a broken heart, that passive place. See, we have to actively follow the Spirit. To That's the only way that leads us to God, right? Do we believe that? That's what scripture says. It says that the spirit leads us to God and through all of our own works, there's not really a way for us to just will ourselves into God. So the only way to obedience is to follow the spirit. And ultimately that's what's pleasing to God. As much as we can look right, as we can talk right, as we can seem good, the thing that most pleases God is actually following him. And we want to be a people, when we're building, we're not just building something because we know it's good. We're building it because that's what God's leading us to. And the, the number five, a heart like Christ for others. Be kind and helpful to one another, 
tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. See, as I keep going back to Christ was forsaken by every one of the disciples, except for John and Mary. They were, they were on it, just like that study in the morning. The women always have God down. It's us men that be slipping up. You know, so it's like, except, I mean, I'm not going to get into that. But <laughs> the thing is, is that in that place, as they forsake him first, he, he got up on the cross and he died. They were calling him all sorts of names, belittling him, talking crazy. Peter was like tripping. He was back fishing and he was off doing his own thing. And Jesus like came out. I was like, hey, let's roll, dog. I forgive you. <laughs> and he's like, what? And it's just like the rest of his story. He made mistakes and Christ continually forgave him. In that same place, Christ forgives each one of us for each of our stumbles, each of our own denials, each of our own places that don't represent him. Each of the places where we try to lead, we try to build. And he continues to lead us into forgiveness, into love, into him, into a place that ultimately that character of mercy, that character of hope, that character of belief is the definition of what we're to be known by. And in that same way, we should be standing in a place that is defined by mercy, by grace, by hope, by kindness, by compassion, by love, because that is the Christ that we are following. Even by the name Christian, that means we are a Christ-like. We are many Christs. So we should be seeking in that way to be just like that Christ, a community that's defined in building is a community that com- is defined by being like Christ. Amen? Okay, let's go to the next thing. I, I got to like tame down a little bit. I'm only halfway. So if I get, I might go, we might just like waddle around and I'm going to try and zoom through. Zoom, zoom. Heart of offense. That's the old. That's that place that gets wrapped up in who? Self. It's all about us. So we want to see that. Like, it usually justifies itself. It usually is wrapped up in its rights. It's usually in this place of what's good to it. But we're being called away from that, right? All right. Number one. The first way that we participate with that. See, in a, in a heart of, of building, a words to build... We have to be angry. We have to recognize that there will be anger at times. But we also have to recognize the heart of offense is defined by said anger. And it doesn't follow the rules of that. Right? It holds on to that anger. So that anger, first of all, is not centered on God. It's centered on who? Self. Us. But it also, it does lead to shame. And it does act a fool. It's like... I'm going to flip the chairs. I'm going to say some crazy stuff. And they're going to deal with it. But the thing is, is that ultimately at the end of the day, who's the one who's really looking like the fool? It's us. So that heart of offense starts and is defined in a place that's angry because of what we feel somebody's walked on about us. 
And it leads us to do things that later on will bring shame. And it also acts a fool. Sinful actions. The third thing is it gives a foothold for Satan. What does that mean? It means that ultimately when you hold a grudge, when you're nurturing anger, you like sit it and you let it like, you let it like to stay in there and you're just like, well, if I could say this, you know, you like sitting in your own place, you're like, if they knew, man, I would tell them off. I would tell them the right ways to do things. They would understand me. But ultimately, what we're really doing is nurturing our anger, making up all these like playful fantasies of why we're justified in our anger. When we're harboring resentment, you haven't talked out those hurts. You haven't talked out what you believe. You haven't talked about how that's affected you. That ends up in a place where you're like, well, it was against me. It's all bad. Or when we're cultivating bitterness. See, I'm, I feel right because I don't like this. This is not fair. If it was fair, I would have this. See, all of these things give a place for God to, to be pushed away. See, and the biggest thing that we don't want is a place for Satan to take that foot and separate us. Because his heart is unity to represent Christ with compassion and forgiveness. And mercy. Because we are recipients of that. So for us to take a heart position of anything else, all we start looking is like the accuser who's already separated us from God. See, we see that this ungodly anger positions us in a place that says we're rightful to receive something else. But ultimately what it just does is it, you're playing you're playing fantasy sports in your brain of how you're going to win with points. See, number two is fight for what has been and stored up for self. We see in the opposing place that it, it said, number two said, grow and share. So you're in a heart position that is growing and sharing. But in this one, you're actually saying, this has been my legacy. This is what I've been through. This is what I stand for. This is who I've been. I'm going to tell you, that is the biggest thing for like where I've come from. And even in my walk so far, and there's things that pop up that have been the, has been the hardest thing to overcome is the place that like says, this is what the standard has been. But what ends up happening is, is I fight for that to protect myself so I don't have to grow. I can't help but just store up for myself because I don't believe for tomorrow. I don't believe for something new. I don't believe that something new can happen. And guess what? That's the quickest way to eat up some faith. It's the quickest way to feel alone. It's the quickest way not to know how to represent God other than through faking it. And we all end up with imposter syndrome when we're just storing up. See, in this place, we can't fight for the old and become something new. You can't do things in a new way that's following Christ and constantly fight for what things have always been. Because sooner or later, you're going to be stuck on the side of the road waiting. And the bus ain't going to come.
And I'm not saying that to anybody. This is not meant to, I'm not trying to step on nobody's toes. This is just, this place is real for us. We have to be adaptable. Christ's followers are defined by one thing only, Christ. We're not defined by standards. We're not defined by what we want in comforts. We're defined by a Christ who's died for us and loved us. Number three. We use words that are worthless and tearing down. So in this place, we, instead of building up with our words and blessing, we talk bad to people or we talk worthlessly to them and we tear them down. What does this look like? We all automatically go to, I start talking bad to people or I didn't say mean things to them. But do you know that it's just as worthless to ask somebody about the weather when you know that they're struggling in the silence? Did you know that it's just as bad and just as sinful to know that this person is struggling with sin and wanting to hurt themselves or wanting to like fall and not saying anything about it, but then asking them about their favorite football team. I think that the biggest thing that we'll actually be condemned for is not what we did do, but what we didn't do in the church. Our history shows that sometimes we don't dive deep when we were really meant to. We're supposed to be the people like Miriam was for this brother right here, reaching out and grabbing a hold of them and bringing them in. And when we, our words are used worthlessly, that doesn't represent the Christ who's met us. Tearing down doesn't just happen in front of people. It happens also behind them. Through gossip and through rumors and through the misuse of our words. If we're not seeking to unify and build, then we will be tearing down. Go to number four for me. Back to grieve the spirit. Hallelujah. (laughs) And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, but seek to please him by whom you were sealed and marked and branded as God's own for the day of redemption, the final deliverance from the consequences of sin. We see here that when we are passive and we don't represent God, can he be pleased with us? No. In fact, we aren't honoring what we've received. The second part is we see that it's pointing out that if we don't seek to please God first before we're seeking to please ourselves, can we please God? Nope. If we have been marked by God and we have been chosen and we've been held by God, right? What's the purpose of that? To represent him, right? If we're not representing him or we're being passive and not doing the actions that represent him, can we please God? No. And to make it even more, we've been redeemed and saved and forgiven, right? For redemption, for the end days, for the place where we are being delivered from the consequences of our choices and sins. That means as many mistakes as all of us have made, guess what? You're all forgiven. And the truth is you're all loved. And you're all held. And you're all believed in. Guess what the only stipulation that God continues to put out? He says forgive. He says to love. So for us, we won't represent those things. 
We will seek to please ourselves first. We will seek to comfort ourselves. We won't pay attention to why we've been marked. And ultimately, we will not represent that redemption in a heart that is really offended. Because all it's worried about is ourselves. Number five, a heart ran by offense. I'm going to skip the verse. You guys can look it up. It's on 431. But it is defined by two things. It's, it's heart position, the way that it looks, which is bitterness, anger, vengeance, resentment, fault finding. In that heart position, it is positioned all about you to get back for you. And in that heart of offense, it's wrapped up. It can't receive. It's looking for all the problems. It's holding on to the problems that have been. But then the second thing it's defined by is the actions that proceed from it, which is slander, gossip, rumors, spite, abusive language, and even wishing evil for others. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters, we all fall to offense. I'm going to tell you there's sometimes I get offended and I have to like be like, you know, Lord, forgive me. But in all reality, I, I have to repent of this. This is a real thing. But the fight for us is not to be perfect, but for us to seek to be better. See, we are defined by his forgiveness. We're defined by us following God. Go ahead and start. You guys can start playing. We're defined by the place where he's seeking to love us, pour his heart out around us, and grab a hold of us. So brothers and sisters, you know... Those who are new and old, those on up on the, the, the camera, I want you guys to know if you are in offense right now, if you're in a heart of offense, turn away from it. Forgive. So you can have the freedom to be with Christ, to receive from Christ, to be like Christ, to grow. Because it's not a process of falling and staying down, but it's actually, for all of us, it's a process of falling, getting up, walking, falling, walking, falling, walking, because our God is full of mercy and grace. He will always overflow with that grace. He will always seek us with love. He always seeks to bring us home. But we want to be a people that's different. See, we all can find ourselves here in a place that ultimately looks at people and says they are for themselves they are simply seeking their own place they're seeking what is good for them and we all can come to a reality that says that i know what this world is defined by but the question isn't what this world is defined by but what we're choosing to be defined for See, the thing is, is that we can represent a God who can transform a heart. We can represent a God who can forgive and love and seek. We can represent a God who ultimately can make any difference in a heart. Who can transform and let us free of the chains that have bound us. We can be that rice that has molded over, but God has poured a new life on us. Because we've had curses in this world, but we don't have to be a curse anymore. I want you guys just to hear this one more time. We don't, we want to be defined as a place that we are emotional. We're even angry sometimes. We can be whatever we are so that ultimately God can change us to who we are meant to be. We want to be a community that is centered 
on our growth first. My growth. Not focused on somebody else's growth. My growth first. So that I can seek to actually give as much as I can. The third thing is we want to be a community that our words build others. But seeks to bless them where they are, not where I hope them to be. Blesses them where they are, not where I hope them to be. Number four, a heart that follows God, both in my desire and in my words. In my heart and in my actions. But ultimately, it all comes down to being like Christ. To be kind and helpful to one another. Tender-hearted, compassionate, and understanding. Forgiving one another readily and freely. Just as God in Christ also forgave you. If you guys need prayer, if you guys are stuck in that prison that has said that that curse that other people have spoken to you has it defined you, that the anger that you feel that you need justice for, I'm here to pray with you. If you were up there who I can't pray with you right now in person, need that prayer, will you reach out. I promise you we'll be there. Give it a chance. But ultimately, we have an opportunity to be something different. We recognize that it's an opportunity right now. The world is hurt. It's separated and alone. But it's the opportunity to be the God and a representation of that God that we've received. And we said it's worth something. Join me in prayer. Lord, help us release offense. Help us release the heart of the old. Help us to look like you. Help us to participate with grace and to be just like your son, Lord, who is forgiving and loving and merciful, Lord. Help us to seek you, to be like you. And Lord, help us to be people who say we don't give up. Lord, you have not given up on us yet. Lord, I pray that we would be people who would be defined on not giving up on anyone. But our people who say that we will be the rescuers of those who are lost, Lord. That you are faithful and we will make them able to come to you. Lord, I pray that as you are that rope that reaches out and grabs a hold of people, that as they grab onto that rope, Lord, that you would teach us how to be the bridges that makes them able to come across the the chasm, the separation between you. Lord, I pray that we would be the hands and feet that are binding up the brokenhearted, Lord, so that they ultimately can be embraced by you, a great king, a great friend, a great lover. But most of all, great Father, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to love like you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.